Hello there and welcome to the Lancet HIV's May podcast. Today I'm talking to Sunil Solomon from the School of Medicine at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, USA. I'm going to be talking to Sunil about the study Integrated HIV Testing, Prevention and Treatment Intervention for Key Populations in India. This is a cluster randomised trial that's published recently online in the Lancet HIV and is included in the May issue. Sunil is one of the researchers and authors on the paper. Hi there, Sunil. Hi, Peter. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much for talking to us today. So, to start with, could you please tell us a little bit about the HIV epidemic in India, and in particular, uh, what it's like among the key populations that you look at in your study, so that's men who have sex with men and people who inject drugs? So, in terms of the HIV epidemic in India, I think most of you are aware that overall the number of infections, the prevalence, the absolute burden of HIV infection in India has been steadily declining. It's currently estimated there are about 2.1 million people living with HIV in India. But India has a very key population concentrated epidemic. In the general population, the prevalence is only about 0.2 or 0.3%. Whereas if you're looking at high-risk populations and key populations such as men who have sex with men and people who inject drugs, they tend to have a much higher burden of HIV in India. For example, I think among people who inject drugs, the national estimate is about 9.3%. And men who have sex with men is about 5%. And these groups form two of the highest burden of HIV infection in India. The other thing that's very unique about HIV in India is like it's very hard to look at India as a country because each state has like its own culture, its own society, and its own restrictions. And so it's almost like dealing with 30 different countries within this one bigger country of India. It's a lot of regional tailoring that needs to be done for, the, for HIV programming in India. And I guess that leads to um, regional variation in how these populations, so many have sex with men and people who inject drugs, are, are viewed and treated in the country. When you come to people who inject drugs, I'm sure you're all aware, India is right in the middle of two of the largest heroin-producing regions in the world. They're right between the Golden Triangle on the east and the Golden Crescent. And so we have drug trafficking routes coming into India from both ends of the country. So historically, we've seen a lot of drug use among and HIV among uh, in the northeastern states like Manipur, Nagaland, and so most of the initial response to the HIV epidemic has been focused on the northeastern states. But in recent years, what we've seen is we've seen a lot more emerging epidemics in the states of Punjab, Haryana, which is closer to the Pakistani border. We're also seeing new sprouting epidemics of both opioid use and accompanying HIV use uh, more in central India, so in places like Kanpur, Bilaspur, which traditionally haven't really been associated with drug use. And in terms of the drugs, also, there is a lot of regional variability. It's in the northeastern states, it, ends, it generally ends up being a lot more heroin use. And in the northern and central states, it ends up being a lot more pharmaceutical opioids. But this, again, is a trend that we keep seeing change over time. Like in, when we started in 2013, there was a lot more opioid abuse in central cities. But in 2017, it had transitioned more to heroin. So it's like a constantly changing dynamic. And in terms of men who have sex with men, we really have no clear estimate of how many men who have sex with men live in India. I believe there are estimates as high as 9% of the adult male population, but a government estimate is something around 2.34 million high-risk men who have sex with men. And I'm sure you're also aware, like, until recently, homosexuality was a crime punishable by law. And in September 2017, that was overturned. So... I think it is going to, it's an interesting time in India because there is, has been a lot of progress, 
it's just a question of like does the change of law actually turn into practice where people are much more accepting of homosexuality because the law is one thing but acceptance is a completely different thing yeah absolutely hopefully the law's a start of bigger change how is government hiv testing prevention um, and treatment structured in india so traditionally the way the hiv program is structured in india is we have something called integrated counseling and testing centers or icts which are standalone testing centers that are distributed all across the country i believe there are about 5500 integrated counseling and testing centers distributed across the country so these are places where anybody can go to who can get tested and then there are also these places uh, there's a new thing called a facility integrated counseling and testing center which is integrated counseling and testing which has been integrated into facilities like obstetrics and gynecology practices and other primary health care centers but the uptake of the FICTCs hasn't been as great as the ICTCs themselves so this has been the traditional approach however the indian government has recently realized that they need to start adapting their approach so there is a lot of focus on community based testing and field based testing especially among uh, key population groups in terms of prevention we have our routine blood safety division the information educational counseling but in terms of key populations the focus really has been on targeted interventions and so the way the prevention programming for msm and people who inject drugs in india works is we have pi ngos or targeted intervention ngos that are distributed across the country and so the the central the national aids control organization distributes funding to the state aids control societies and through them to the targeted intervention programs who deliver the services on the field and in terms of treatment we have we have um, antiretroviral therapy centers there are about 550 antiretroviral therapy centers across india the first line of choice currently in india is sinovac and everdeen nafavirin and i believe there are about 1.3 million people who are currently on antiretroviral therapy in india so traditionally these these facilities are independent facilities so the integrated counseling and testing centers only do testing whereas the treatment centers only do treatment but the treatment centers may also do testing in a in a ictc that's attached to the treatment center that's great that really gives uh gives a great overview of the system and also just that 1.3 million people on antiretrovirals in India really highlights the scale of the problem you know the scale of the burden despite you know that low prevalence overall that you mentioned actually just the size of India means that those numbers really do add up so you looked at the effectiveness of an integrated HIV testing prevention and treatment intervention can you tell us a little bit more about the study rationale and the intervention But I think it seems really obvious that this is something that we should be doing because who wants to go to multiple places to get anything done like any of us would prefer to just walk into one place and get all our services delivered to us right in that place but when we started the trial in 2013 there was nothing about along those lines for key populations anywhere in India actually very few such facilities exist for key populations anywhere in low and middle income countries and it almost no trials and though it seems obvious like that this is something that we should be doing there are absolutely no trials and whenever you talk to policy makers they want to know what is the additional cost of integrating services and so it just seemed like the right opportune moment to implement a cluster randomized trial especially among men who are sex with men and people who inject drugs in india because those are two populations were not being reached as efficiently by the national program as heterosexual and so that was 
And the cluster randomized trial was the design we went with because we thought it was like setting up these centers would get people in for testing and treatment, and we really would be able to make an impact at the population level. So yeah, so like you say, it sounds like you know an obvious idea that really should work. Um, but then when it came to your actual study results, your primary outcome showed a 31% population level increase in recent testing at the integrated care centers. But this difference wasn't actually significant in your study. And now you suggest that suboptimal exposure to integrated care centers for clients constrained the population level effect of the intervention. Um, can you explain for our listeners how you came to that conclusion? And what other reasons might explain why you didn't see a more robust effect in your study? So I think to start off, I must say, we were very naive and very ambitious about implementing a cluster randomized trial among key populations in India because we thought we had the exact numbers, we knew exactly how to reach them. And our trial was also different from other cluster randomized trials, especially in HIV, because most cluster randomized trials generally recruit a cohort and they follow the cohort over time and they show a difference in the cohort. But what we decided to do is that we wanted to show a community level impact. And so we actually did a respondent-driven sampling at baseline. So we had the baseline assessment. Then we had the intervention period where the intervention ran for two years. And then we had another cluster randomized trial. Then we had another cross-sectional study at two years after the intervention. And we compared the outcomes in the two serial cross-sectional surveys. So the cross-sectional surveys were done using respondent-driven sampling, which is supposed to be representative of the underlying population if implemented appropriately. And so what ended up happening was it doesn't really recruit people who, are, who have only been to the integrated care centers. So it recruits every MSM or every PWID in that city, regardless of whether he or she went into the uh, went into the ICC. And as you know, like the cities in India are just not comparable. Like a city like Delhi with 20 million people is bigger than many countries. And then you have other cities which have like smaller numbers of people. Distance became a barrier. When we planned the study, we only planned on one integrated care center. And so essentially what we saw was at the end of the study, like ideally you would have wanted everybody in your target population to have been exposed to the study in the intervention arm and everybody in the control arm not exposed. But, uh, but overall, only about 30% of the people in the intervention arm actually ended up using the integrated care center. And what we did see is we saw a beautiful dose response. If you looked at cities where the proportion of people who had accessed the ICC went up, we saw like a significantly increased uptake of HIV testing. For example, like if you look at cities with uh, exposure of greater than 35%, if you're looking at dose response, the exposure being the probability of having been to an ICC, we saw 1.75 times higher likelihood of being uh, tested for HIV in the recent, in, in, in the past year. So I think that was really a limiting factor. It was, we never accounted for the But that being said, the one city where we did have multiple integrated care centers was Impal because the population size we knew when we started was much larger. It was estimated to be about 8,000 people who inject drugs. And also logistically, it's very hard to get around the city because of curfew and military law. And so we actually ended up putting three different ICCs to reach most of the population. 
So in Impal, we almost start, we, we, we reached about 50 to 52 percent of the sample who were recruited in the RDS. And Impal was also the site where we saw the maximum change between baseline and evaluation. I think the viral suppression went up from about 15 percent to closer to 70 percent among people who inject drugs during that study period. But it really does seem like if we were able to reach more people, it could have done a lot better. But we ended up reaching much fewer, and that's probably because we just went into the study without a good estimate of what the population size was. And another thing that really impacted our power was just the intra-cluster correlation, which is always a problem with cluster randomized trials. We just ended up seeing large regional variabilities, which was much higher than what we expected, which also impacted our power significantly. Mm -hmm. I guess that you know that explanation there goes on to sort of emphasizes the complexity of doing a study at this scale um, in populations like this. Um, you know, it's a really ambitious project. Um, so while sort of your primary outcome didn't show a significant effect and you think you've got some reasons why that might be the case, um, at the individual level, some outcomes that I think you've already touched on a bit were improved. What outcomes were they and what do they tell us about um, about the effect of your intervention in these populations in MSM and people who inject drugs? So, so, so the one thing I didn't, I didn't mention before was in this trial, we actually used biometrics, so we used fingerprints to track participants, and it actually didn't store the image, but it converted it into a code, and so we had like, no locator information. But using this biometric, we were able to track people across different services, track people between the baseline and the evaluation survey, we were also able to track people who used the ICC who were also part of the respondent-driven sampling survey without actually using any names. And so because of that, we were actually able to compare people in the evaluation survey who just restricting it to the intervention sites. There were about 30% of the people who went to the ICC compared to like 70% who didn't go or 50% who went with a 50% who didn't go. So we actually had two separate populations among the subset of people who went to the integrated care centers. So if you compare the people, only restricting it to the intervention arm, if you compare the people who went to an ICC versus who did not go to an ICC, they were three and a half times more likely to be tested for HIV. They were way more likely to be aware of their status, more likely to be initiated, linked to care and initiated antiretroviral therapy. And all of them are statistically significant. The only thing where we didn't see a, a significant difference at, at a P of 0.05 was in terms of ART uh, viral suppression. There was a, a, I guess there weren't enough people who were on antiretroviral therapy in the arms to actually look at viral suppression. But in terms of all the other care continuum outcomes, we saw significant improvements. What we also saw was among the people who inject drugs, we saw Injection abstinence was much better among people, for at least for six months, was much better among people who had been to the ICC versus not. They were also more likely to be on needle syringe exchange program, programs. They were also more likely to be on opioid agonist therapy. And similarly, among men who had sex with men, we saw that people who had been to the ICC versus those who had not been to the ICC in the intervention arm were also more likely to have been diagnosed or treated for an STI. So it really did have an impact on people who went to the ICC, but I think the biggest challenge of the study was we weren't able to get enough people to go to the ICC. Mm -hmm. So I guess actually um, 
that uh, leads on to the next question, really, in a way. Is it what do you see as the major lessons from your study? So not just in terms of um, prevention and treatment services in India, but actually in in terms of running a study like this, in, in trying to in trying to tackle these questions in a in a trial setting. I think there were a lot of lessons we learned. One is we learned the complexity of a cluster randomized trial, especially with key populations. Because most of the cluster randomized trials in HIV have been with the general population. And it's much easier because you can recruit a random sample. Whereas with key populations, you really don't have a sampling screen from which to pick a random sample. So you end up using strategies such as uh, respondent-driven sampling or venue time-based sampling which themselves have some limitations. And give me one second, there's some background noise. I think in terms of like just study design, it's, it's very challenging to pull off a cluster randomized trial, especially if you're trying to look at an impact of a community level among uh, people who, in, among key populations, especially hidden populations, where the epidemic really is focused right now. If you look anywhere in any low middle income country or even in the high-income country settings, it, it seems to be a lot among key populations who, are, who end up being hidden. So the question of like, how do you really measure population-level impact is something this trial does really talk about. In point. It, it does give you a lot of lessons about things to consider when you're planning a cluster randomized trial, because like in our case, ICC ended up being, the intra-cluster correlation ended up being a lot higher than we expected. Uh, there was a turnover because the population also doesn't have to stay constant. People may there's in migration, out migration, so it ends up being a very complicated exercise to implement a cluster randomized trial. But that being said, I think there are ways of getting around it. Like it, it needs to be done because I feel that is where your burden is. And if you really want to achieve the UNH target, we need large, more cluster randomized trials, especially among key populations in low middle income country settings, looking at the entire care continuum. But in terms of the integrated care centers, like I think what we learned, I think this is something that's applicable to India, but applicable to many other countries in the world, just improving access isn't enough. Because these clinics were there, they increased access, but in terms of demand, there has to be some demand innovation strategies that go along with the access. Because when you compared our respondent driven sampling where people were incentivized to come into the in, come into the or they were incentivized like 50 rupees, which is about uh, less than a pound. And they were compensated, if they came in and they went through the study procedures, they were compensated about three pounds. So on the whole, they were compensated about three pounds, a little bit over, closer to four pounds. And we ended up finding a lot more people who were positive in these respondent-driven surveys, but we weren't able to find these people walking into the clinic, which was, which really does tell you that like small incentives could play a big role in getting people into the clinic. I think once you get them into the clinic, the question is, how do we really make it even more efficient? And so I think with advances, over, we started this trial in 2013, so I think something that can be tried is seeing the ART. So when people come into the clinic and they're tested positive, you slap them on ART, you prevent those losses right there, making antiretroviral therapy available in clinics again, or community-based ART, which is again a model which India is shifting to, and I think many other countries are also shifting both for uh, 
to make it more accessible to key populations, but also to task shift and declutter the larger than therapy centers. So I think the, so those are some of the biggest things we've learned. I think the, but the biggest lesson we've really learned from the study is that one size does not fit all, even within the same country sometimes, because in India, we just learned everything was completely different. So when we started the trial and we were doing surveys in the northeastern regions with people who had their drugs, they were asking me about sofosphere and when hepatitis C treatment was going to come there. Whereas if you're looking at drug users in the north of India, they were still, they had no idea what hepatitis C was and they were still struggling for opioid agonist therapy. So I think it is critical when we're planning these studies that we have to have a good understanding of what the existing epidemic is. Okay, well, thank you so much for speaking to us today. That's been, it's been really fascinating to get your extra insights into the study. And I think it really does just, I mean, highlight the, highlight the sort of bewildering complexity of, uh, of the HIV epidemic in India and the diversity of the epidemic across such a big country. But yeah, so thank you very much for speaking to me today. And I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.